got some beer. If you... it's, let's see here. I have uh, an offer. Awesome. Is that good? Yeah, thank no, whatever's you. I said, I'm a Ganny girl. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no, I... Cheers, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Hello and welcome. This is episode 17. I just want to thank those of you who have sent me some positive feedback and good vibes. I really appreciate it. My guests in this episode are Dennis and Allie of Mr. Badger and Company. Mr. Badger is their 41 foot Concordia yawl built in 1957. They tell the story of how they came to Mr. Badger, as well as the impressive and heartfelt character who inspired the name of Mr. Badger. They are both very worldly and well-traveled. Dennis has an impressive sailing resume, and Allie is the driving force behind the sustainability component of the Mr. Badger program. Part of that sustainability includes participating in the 1% for the Planet program that's run by Patagonia. But beyond that, they're both thoughtful and considerate and measured with how they interact with their environment. We also talk about a very special Karyaku sloop called Summer Wind, which holds a special place in Allie's heart because it's the boat she learned to sail on. I really do thank Dennis and Allie for taking the time to meet with me, crack open a few beers, and hear all of their wonderful stories. And I hope you do too. Enjoy. The boat is called Mr. Badger. The boat is called Mr. Badger. <laughs> There's a story behind that. There is, yeah. Um, when I first arrived in Newport... Um, almost six years ago or maybe six years ago now, uh, I met a very wonderful old salt from Jamestown and, um, he became a very good friend of Allie and my, and, um, we used to kind of spend the winters with him and cook and tell sea stories and sit by the fire for hours and hours and hours. And, um, Allie and I used to muse that, you know, we wanted to buy our own little wooden boat and go and disappear. Um, and he always kind of, explained to us that, well, that's a terrible idea, but if you do, you should buy something useful like a Concordia Yawl, because there's nothing more handy in the world. And he'd owned one for 20-plus years, Mm -hmm. um, among many other wonderful little wooden creatures. And so um, he had unfortunately set sail on his final voyage um, when the Concordia opportunity came to us. but we thought, you know, what cooler way to pay him some homage than to name her in his honor. Um, and so we, you know, Allie looks like she wants to take over this part well, of the... Yeah, jump in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so he, he got the, the name Mr. Badger uh, from the book The Wind in the Willows. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just he just was the epitome of that character to us. Right. Always welcoming us into his house stoking the fire, just listening intently to whatever had happened to us, misadventure or, you know, adventure that we had been on, always offering some nice, wise, humble advice. And, uh, yeah, so he was our Mr. Badger. and Yeah. He used to say uh, the latch string is always out and, you know, you're always welcome here. And that was kind of the the feeling that we wanted, wanted to include in Mr. Badger as as a platform, you know, um, mm-hmm. 
whether it's friends or family or guests that we're having aboard, to have that same kind of welcoming and um, loving vibration that Hutch left us with. Mr. Badger was not his boat. It was no, it was no. another Concordia. Uh, he owned a Concordia thirty nine named um, Bells. Well, it was named Eight Bells, and he didn't particularly like that, so he changed it to Bells. Oh, right. Um, but that was a different vessel. Yeah. And how did you find the boat you now have? <laughs> there's a story here. I said, yeah, there is. There's, there's stories to all of it. <laughs> yeah. we, we were in Greece running a, a 56-foot schooner that was built up in um, Nova Scotia by John Steele at Covey Island Boat Works. And in the process of that trip, we were there for more than a year, and we kind of bombed all over the Aegean Sea. I think we visited over 30 islands in 3,000 miles um, that year and kind of realized through the process that it was really time to find our own little boat. And we found a lovely little schooner. Uh, it was an H. Chappelle-designed um, little cod that was built by a Greek shipwright while he was living in British Columbia, and then he sailed home. And he was getting up there in years and wanting to, not really wanting to part with the vessel, but knowing that he needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we negotiated for, I don't know, six months. We were back and forth with him, and, you know, this is what we want to do, and this is what money we have, and can we get And the boat's in Greece. The boat was in Greece, yeah. Um, and well, we had dealt with a situation before where it's an owner that wants to sell a boat that had been their home for, hmm. you know, 30 plus years and traveled all around. And we knew that it wasn't something that was going to be easily let go of. Mm-hmm. So we tried to be as delicate with that and not. Um, yeah, that's a good word. Delicate. Yeah. <laughs> but we also, we, you know, having gone through that, we're not surprised <laughs> when we sat down at the table to trade keys and money and uh, the whole deal went out the window. And Oh, uh, yeah, um, it's seller's make remorse. The blow any easier though? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? We, you're not going to sell it to us. Um, and he was just what he wanted, it changed. He, he yeah. jacked the price by three hundred percent and kind of fell into this flip flop place where he was. Uh, well, maybe I'll sail the boat back to Canada and live there. He was just he was all over the place oh, and wow. way too emotionally attached to the boat. Right. To, you know be reasonable at that time so. yeah that that goes beyond eastern european negotiation at that time. absolutely <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, that's not your typical no yeah. and and unfortunately you know and well i don't know about unfortunately but wooden boats do have this soul that um mm. people associate with and attach themselves to especially you know for a guy like that who built it himself mm. um and had many great adventures you know the greatest adventures of his life um, it's not an easy thing to let go of. Um, and so, you know, we got that. But we also, you know, invested a great deal of time and energy in, in being in the central of a GNC in the middle of the winter ready to take on a leaky wooden boat that was, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, there wasn't tough. a dry place down below. Oh. We, 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 we spent <laughs> a night on the boat and it, for, it was just incredibly rainy. And the whole night, like, our pillows were soaked. The um, bunk was completely drenched. And the whole night it was like water torture, just like <laughs> drops and drops. And we still wanted the boat after for whatever reason we, you know. Yeah, I could they see just... that. My, my wife is originally from England, and I was living aboard a boat that I bought. And the first night in America she spent, I had a port half open and a 
it was dead calm and fishing boat went by early in the morning and water came and went right down her backside and she <laughs> calmly sat up and said we might want to close that <laughs> so i thought I, I had i had something good going here yeah exactly <laughs> yeah she's a keeper yeah, yeah. you're in greece we're in and greece, this falls right? through okay, so yeah. we were we were headed on a destination with this story we kind of calmly bade him farewell and went back to the little cottage we were staying in to regroup um, and lick our wounds. And uh, from there we decided, well, you know, there are multiple parts to the issue, but not having a vessel in the EU to sign on to, we'd expired our Schengen welcome Mm -hmm. and needed to come back and, you know, generally needed to come somewhere and think, well, what are we going to do next? So, uh, you know, we hopped on a commercial flight with all of our belongings that we were planning to sail around the world with, which were substantial, um, and dragged them. A few extra baggage fees. <laughs> a few extra baggage fees, to say the least. Um, and plopped ourselves back in Newport um, just in time for spring and the impending summer season. Um, and we, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the story of Summer Wind at some point here, but we were looking after a little special boat called Summer Wind. Um, which we've taken care of for a number of years now. Uh, and I was down at Newport Shipyard, and just we were on our way out to Mystic Seaport to do some photography work, and I passed by um, the Dana's old boat, Thor. Mm-hmm. And coming sort of up out of the companionway was this curly, gray-haired man with these sort of uh, iconic spectacles and a sail covering his face completely. Uh, that he was shoving out into the cockpit, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, pushing it through the and, hatch. <clears throat> and I recognized the top of his head, and I said, Brock? And he says, yeah. And he looks up and goes, oh, my God. It was Brock Callan, the director of Sail Martha's Vineyard. Oh, of course. Um, who um, they also um, take care of Thor these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he came out and shook hands and gave hugs, and we hadn't seen each other in years. Um, and said, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where have you been? And and all that kind of stuff. And I explained this backstory that we crash landed from Greece, having failed in our attempt to buy a forty two foot schooner. And he said, young man, have I got an opportunity for you? Oh boy! And um, so it came to be that um, you know, Sail Martha's Vineyard had been donated this Concordia uh, a number of years before, and it had come the time to you know let her go and. Brock had it in his mind uh, that he wanted it to go to, you know, the right kind of people. Mm-hmm. And um, and for whatever reason, we had him falsely convinced that that was us. <laughs> <laughs> and where was the boat at this point? Was it in New- – it was – that was the crazy thing. It was 10 minutes down the road from Allie's parents' house where we had crash-landed. Yeah. But the funniest part was that – Is that here in Rhode Island? In, 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 in Portsmouth. NEB. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was at – uh, at shop. Yep. Yeah, so we we went down there, and uh, for whatever reason, we're under the impression that had been sailed from Martha's Vineyard to Portsmouth, like that day, and so we get down there, and we're just running, you know, and it's a pretty big yard. We're just running from one side to the other, looking, looking for, for looking it. for the boat. We're like, where is this boat? <laughs> <laughs> and we had pulled, we had parked right in front of the shed, and we're walking back to the car, like. It must not be it, here. Yeah, yet. it's not here. Right. And it's we're looking in the shed and we're like, that looks a lot like a Concordia. It was in the <laughs> parked right in front of it. Yeah, parked right in front of it. Was it in Joe's shop <laughs> or Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh God. 
You were so excited. Yeah. Your eyes were everywhere except for <laughs> Exa- except for right in right front of, of you. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had it in mind that it had come by sea. So yeah. the fact that it could have been hauled already and stored and massed unstepped was just un- right. impossible, you know. But it came by truck. Oh, right, of yeah. course. And yeah. it was our job to get it floating. <laughs> truck and ferry. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. 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 And was she in good shape at that stage? Yes. Yeah, she yeah. was. Yeah. She's been, you know, um, well looked after. She's been very well looked after for her entire life. It's like Concord- um, all Concordia boats are well looked after for the yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I spied <laughs> a statistic on your website. Um, what was it a hundred and of the total number built? Yeah, a hundred and two out of a hundred and three. Three are still yeah in good shape. Good shape. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. It is. It's really quite a testament to what There's was. There's probably going very on. few products that can make that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's an incredible situation. Actually, you know, now you, when you put it that way, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. But for a wood boat, that's impressive. Yeah. And, and what's her construction? What a, Plank um, on frame. Um, she's mahogany over oak. Mahogany over oak. Yeah, and they were very tightly planked. So originally when they were built, there was no cotton or anything between the seams. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she's re- she's received an incredible amount of care over the years and particularly in the time that Brock looked after her with Sail Martha's Vineyard you know they they put a lot of work into the boat so when we bought her um, the whole bow had been rebuilt sort of forward of the bulkhead with all new framing planking um, a new mast step for the mainmast mm-hmm. and you know a lot of other work that they had done during their tenure of uh, stewardship when she came to us, she had been out of the water for quite a while, so you know you could see a little daylight through some of the bottom planking, and um, the paint had blown back to the top sides in places and kind of blown back. So you just, you know, bare wood patches and stuff like that, all daunting normally. But uh, with the amount of random restoration projects that Allie and I have ended up knees deep in, mm. it was kind of like, well, here we go again. And also comparative to like. The boat in Greece, mm-hmm. this was night and day. The boat in Greece needed everything. <laughs> really? New decks, new everything. It needed an exercise. Yeah, it did. <laughs> and and we were just so in love with it because it was the perfect size boat. It was a schooner, which was what you know our dream vessel is. You and got seduced by the S word. Yeah, exactly. Love them schooners. Yeah. yeah, and so we were just so enamored by it that we didn't care we were just like oh this is our boat and right hutch was right this one was far more practical it's you know we would have been drowning in debt <laughs> with that boat and maybe quite literally <laughs> probably literally. <laughs> so he hadn't but, seen it but you had related enough information to uh, you know at that, point, enough information. Um, at that point he he had already gone um, so we, you know, we didn't have. Hutch oh, you to didn't have him as a sounding board. Off of, I mean, you know, it, it, if I could, you know, think back to what he would have said, um, I'll pay for the survey. You can pay me back some other day. You know, that was kind of his <laughs> his go to remark. Anytime Allie and I got it in our heads to look at a boat, um, it was all about the survey for him. The timeline from that moment where you you spied her in, in the shed after you searched the yard. North and south, and you got her in the water and sailing. That was quite remarkable, actually. Um, it took a little bit of diligence. You know, we didn't. 
I'm sorry, Hutch, but we didn't get a survey. <laughs> oh. um, but we did have, um, you know, I, I also spent a lot of time on wooden boats, as is Allie. And, you know, we have a lot of great, wonderful connections in the area. So we probably had way too many people look at the boat. But everyone that came down and knew what they were looking at was like, yeah, what are you waiting for? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we finally pulled the trigger and signed the papers and everything, um, the space where she was occupying at at um, Joe's yard was spoken for, I think, three weeks later. So in three weeks, um, you had to get we took on. the top sides down. We fully repainted them. Um, we did bottom seams, reefed them out, and repacked them, um, cutlass bearing, um, any number of other things. What Everything that it needed to be floating. Yeah, everything we chopped, that was vital. I think we chopped three inches off of the bottom of the mainmast about 10 hours before stepping. What was uh, the, the reason for that? The uh, the mast step that Gannon and Benjamin had built, um, the original mast step was aluminum oh. and uh, or ste- galvanized steel maybe, and it had rotted away. Right. And so they built a new one of Angelique, which is really quite beautiful, but it's much more robust. So having to be so much larger the the problem was that it was taller and so fitting the mainmast into the step the shrouds wouldn't actually reach the turnbuckles Mm -hmm. that's a that's a thing it's a thing yeah so (laughs) i think i think i actually bought every whatever it was quarter inch toggle bronze toggle that you had in the front room which are now over here behind you yeah yes they are yeah um and, I moved uh, these just this morning so you'd feel at home. <laughs> Thank you. I'll have to bring them. Actually, I'll have to bring them back in on consignment because we did um, mass calculations. We ha- we actually had a control group. Um, Paolo and I, um, you know Paolo. Oh, yeah. He, so he loves I did, to come in and haggle on with your website. Your it is, yeah. 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 Uh, there's nobody like him. Yeah. But he, he got involved with a bit in his teeth. He was here just kind of ha- having a, his first relaxing summer in Newport. Having left the super yacht captain role, right. and um, and he just jumped on board with us, and he was there every day at yeah. seven a.m. I'd bring him a coffee, and he'd work until like four o'clock, uh. and then complain about the abominable working conditions. <laughs> um, and if then I wasn't there by twelve with beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then we'd come down here and come looking for parts and scavenging things out of the basement, and he'd be screaming at your dad, "Give me this for this! Give me this for that! Come on, don't yeah. you owe me money?" Yeah, he's good people. <laughs> I like. I saw that picture on the website, and I said, "That looks just like Paul." I wonder what the connection is. Now, nah, maybe I'm wrong. You know, my wife says I have excellent voice recognition skills, but I have horrible visual <laughs> recognition <laughs> skills. Um, just horrible. So, so that is about okay. Yeah. Great. It is. Yeah. I, I showed up uh, down at the at NEB. It must have been sunset, you know. And Dennis is there with his goggles and the angle grinder, and he's like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm just, like, freaking out. Like, you're chopping off part of our mass. You know, it was really scary. Wow, you, you measured twice. Yeah. Measured. <laughs> well, yeah, that's where we were headed. We'd, and, and it was this thing where we, had dis- we knew it was going to be too long, but we thought, well, we'll put it in, and we'll see how it lines up, and we'll deal with it later. And when it got down to it, you know, I think Paulo and I just got itchy with the angle grinder and – it happened that our good friend Alex Goldhill was in town who built the mast step and had done a lot of the construction work um, on the on the boat that was done at Gannon and Benjamin. And he came in, and he's just got this amazing atti- attitude. He's from Kariakou. 
mm-hmm. and he's the captain of the catch mahjong. She's a y'all. She's a y'all. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, she was just rebuilt by Gannon and Benjamin. She's amazing. But, um, you know, he came up with his only day off and and set to work with us. And it was after dark when we finished, but, you know, he measured everything. In, and we didn't tell him what measurement we came up with, but when they both lined up, mm. we said, okay, let's cut it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So the rig step, you're in. We're in. And it was it was pretty seamless the next day. <laughs> When we did the stepping, it was it was yeah. seamless. Yeah. She mm-hmm. didn't. We were expecting. I think we were expecting geysers. Really, I mean, we had standby <laughs> yeah. pumps, and oh, right. the boat hadn't been in the water for a mm. year or more. Um, so you know, and all the whole consensus was like, "Don't worry, it's going to look like Niagara Falls, mm. and in three hours, it's going to be okay." Yeah. And we put it in the water, and nothing happened. Wow, like that's impressive. <laughs> I, I've had friends who would boat captains, and when one passed a torch to the next, uh, on this particular boat, it was a, a big fife. The old captain said, well, when the pumps were only cycling once every 15 to 20 minutes, I went home. <laughs> <laughs> but he had slept on the boat, you know, 24-7 yeah, yeah. Up, up to that point. Yeah. But that was... That's a, what we thought we were going to have to do. Yeah. yeah. Different, yeah. Yeah. What year was this? When when did this was this last year? Yeah, this was um, August last year. Right, and we I think we took ownership around the like seventh of August, and then like mm. the twentieth we launched. Wow! So it was pretty impressive. And did you have a, a plan for the charter aspect of it, or were you just going to go sailing? Yeah, we were. We had bought the boat just with the intention of using it for our own pleasure and i guess we kind of developed this plan over the winter um i don't really know how yeah when did we come up was this your idea (laughs) (laughs) we've been um well i looked at your credentials on your website and you i mean a 200 ton license with a celestial endorsement and yeah, I mean, hundreds of thousands of miles at sea, and we've been doing this for a long time this. collectively. And and I've been in the game a lot longer than Allie, and you know, kind of built a um, an independent freelance delivery and charter, mm-hmm. you know, reputation for myself around the world. I spent a lot of time in Greece and in the Caribbean and moving boats back and forth the, the, across the Atlantic, particular. <clears throat> excuse me, particularly when it finally came time for okay ali and i should buy a boat and you know we should kind of develop our own way in this world we were both wanting to get away from private yachting and chartering you know the idea that you own something and it's yours and Mm. you know you built it yourself um and obviously not the boat but the business uh i think means a lot to both of us um and doing it with this you know wonderful inspiration of an old friend and in a place that we both love um, mm-hmm. and call a semi-home, even though we like to drift away a lot. Right. But, you know, there's some kind of elastic band from Newport to the <laughs> sailor who has once put ashore here. And <laughs> right, yeah. Eventually get far enough away, you get snapped back. Yes, there's there's a lot of people that just keep coming back. Yeah. Differentiate yourselves a bit from the other charter operations based on what I see on your website in terms of the experience that you offer. You're, you channel a lot of the wind in the willows, mm-hmm. 
and not the not always the obvious quotes. I see. Yeah. <laughs> you know? you, you've gone deeper into the the work, as it were. Yeah, and I think the I think um, the way that we're just trying to differentiate ourselves from the other businesses, um, aside from being over in Jamestown, which is you know, mm. which is where Hutch is from. Um, and it's just to us, it's like more of like a quaint little sleepy hollow of Newport. And, um, that's why we enjoy being over there so much, but, um, really taking people out and letting them get a nice experience on the water. So they're spending more time than just going out for two hours and, um, you know, doing a quick harbor burn or whatever. Mm. So we really want to have people see what we see when we go out to sea and really get to know them, connect with the people you know, find out what their story is and tell them a little bit about us. Mm. And um, I think that's... It's a funny dynamic between Newport and Jamestown, I think. You know, mm. and, and the folks in um, Newport and the folks in Jamestown, I think, certainly get that. But, you know, um, it's a different group of people that want to spend time in Jamestown. Um, and, you know, to offer something that's a little bit more experiential and a little bit more long-term, um, you know, we're, like Ali said, we're not going to be doing any kind of two hour here and there Mm. laps um it's more geared toward um half day or a full day on the water where we're stopping in a nice place for lunch and we're cooking and preparing and you know um it's meant to be really an experience um and then the 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 longer side of that as well is that um you know you come to a place like this and you, you rent a vacation home for your family for your summer vacation that you've worked all year to get to and um and the the classic yacht experience on the Narragansett Bay is um something that's really timeless and unique and mm. something that's sought after in a way but it takes an incredible amount of financial support to you know own that absolutely um and so being able to come for your one week family vacation and say well I I I don't own a classic yacht but I can for a week right um and come to us and say you know w- and we're willing to work with, you know, whether it's a half day up to a week or 10 days, however long you stay. The idea being that it's your vacation and your schedule, mm-hmm. your boat's on standby with a qualified crew, and right. we're at the ready. We're way past the development stages at this point, but we are um, still working really hard on a daily basis to kind of set up the infrastructure and the um, the logistics and planning of, of everything. Um, luckily, we got back early enough this winter that we're – on track and uh we're going to be doing pickups in newport as well for Mm. for those folks who want to where did you travel this winter well we did a couple of trips we left here in uh i think it was late november and we delivered an oyster down to the virgin islands yeah we got into tortola on thanksgiving i think that's true yeah well, you chose well because I think it was 18 degrees here on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, but it's surprising now that it's you know springtime and well, it's not even barely springtime and it's much warmer than usual. But then yeah. we had a really brutal fall, so waiting for that window, mm. uh, I think we were here an extra couple of weeks before we were meant to leave for that trip. Yeah, it was like three weeks or something. yeah, um, and then following, I think the day after New Year, Ali and I flew down to Culebra. And joined Nat Benjamin on his schooner Charlotte, and then right. we sailed from there uh, to the Dominican Republic. Um, and did a well-crafted Shanghai haul-out bottom job. Boca Chica. Boca Chica. 
<laughs> Nat had organized all the, the young players he needed to pull off a quick bottom job. And uh, from there, we sailed to Ilavash, Haiti. Wow. You, you've sailed with Nat before? No, oh, no we, we a... hadn't. We, oh. uh, we, we met Nat years ago. And we and... had gotten a tour of Charlotte when we were out in the vineyard. Yeah. Uh, but we got to know ago. him you know, over the years. Mm. Actually, while I was in Greece... Uh, or while we were in Greece, I contacted him um, a few times with random seaman-like questions that he was kind enough to take a moment to get yeah, out the right. crayon box. I uh, my, my dad has a house out in the vineyard, and uh, my wife and I, we go out there as much as we can, but he does rent it, so we, we have narrow windows. And I, I walk the dogs down, and I just stand it. <laughs> look drool at his shed yeah. in the railway and i think my wife saw that drool <laughs> on my shirt and then for christmas a year or two ago she bought me a book called schooner yeah which is just a, a amazing tale it really is i mean they're, they're the tale of that boatyard is um infamous it's uh the and you, and you go there and spend time we we got to spend a lot of time there with summer wind a few years back and um, and we are fortunate enough to know a lot of the boat builders and um, and the interns and you know you, you get this amazing group of people that surrounds that boatyard that just make it come to life mm. um, and it's really anything in life is all about the people the people but yeah that's a special place definitely yeah absolutely the, there's pictures they have the mass bringing the mass across the street and stopping traffic <laughs> I just love that you know it's I'm going to well, – yeah. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll leave that in. Yeah, I'll leave that in. I'm interested in the summer wind because the tale on the website is that you saw it and yeah. were inspired, drawn. Describe summer wind to me. What What is it? So it's a Kariaku sloop. So it's 37 mm-hmm. feet, and it was built down on the beach in Kariaku. Ah. Uh, so it's bare bones, you know, three-foot draft, just nothing – uh, two feet te- of freeboard. Yeah, telephone pole for a mast. And it's up here now. Yeah. And and she's also extremely beautiful. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Very beautiful. <laughs> and and what's your relationship to this boat? What's your tie other than you spied it one day on the... So this is the boat that I learned how to sail on. Oh, right. Um, and God bless Dennis's soul. He was very um, patient with me. <laughs> but he's also, you know, at, at the time... I, when I was learning, I don't like to not know how to do things. So it was very frustrating for me to a point because I'm doing something brand new. And Dennis, at the time, I thought was very controlling. I thought he was just like, you know, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually because, you know, when you go out to sea, you have to do things in a particular way because safety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. I just thought that he was overbearing and controlling. <laughs> I just... And it's a, it's it's not your average um, yacht, you know. It's not a yacht at all. Mm. It's a it's a fishing sloop. It's a working boat, and so the gear is heavy and the tackles are light. I mean, not not that the you know the purchases, everything is heavy on the boat, right? Um, and she's very well rigged, but she's difficult to operate, especially with a short-handed crew. And at the same time, there's really no accommodation whatsoever on board. There's one bunk and a two-burner stove down below, and that's literally all. Right. Everything else is open, empty. You can see all the ribs. Oh, wow. 
Um, so it's kind of sales storage and gear all over the place, and it's become an incredible science experiment about what flies around and what doesn't. Um, <laughs> and so when Allie first came aboard, you know, she mentions she 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 has this thing where when she takes something up, she needs to be immediately good at it, otherwise she's <laughs> frustrated. Yeah. Frustrated, yeah. yeah. And so, so there are you know safety issues that were involved in that, being that it was her first time offshore at all and uh she's become quite the mariner ever since then but that first year for her was i think a little bit rough oh boy yeah what the hell am i doing on this i had to eat a piece of humble pie for sure (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was the first boat that i learned to sail on it was the first time i ever went sailing to actually go somewhere Mm -hmm. and couldn't see the shore right and like dennis said the boat was just so bare bones that it just it was like being out. Have you seen the movie Life of Pi? Yes. Like it's yeah, like yeah. that. Just being on this boat is pure magic. And wow. um, there's something so special about Summer Wind. And I feel so lucky that was the boat that I learned to sail on because it is it is such a special boat. Um, well, wood boats in general, there's yeah. just a huge difference. I, I had the opportunity to crew on a classic Fife. And it's just so different. The mo- everything's different. The the feel, the vibe, the way she handles the seas, and it, it. I can see why people have the wood boat disease. <laughs> There's no better ride. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that Ali says, you know, that's the boat that she learned to sail on because when I took on the task of sailing summer wind from Antigua to here, I'd sailed a hundred thousand miles already and been across the Atlantic seven or so times and so this was something you know when i took it on i was bored i was really Mm -hmm. sick of chartering and a million guests and to me the best thing is you know some people like day sailing and racing and stuff like that and i like passage making Mm. so put me offshore for 20 days and on day 19 we're arriving tomorrow i'm bummed out right I wish the ocean was bigger. So when this opportunity came up to sail summer wind from Antigua to Newport, and it was in some ways a dream that I'd had for some years to see how one of these local West Indian built sloops would handle at sea on a proper voyage. Um, It was something that no one had ever done. And a few people, key players in the West Indian boat building world, um, had dreamed about. And so there was immediately this kind of like um, extra force behind me from from people who I met in the process of getting ready. Mm. So and it had not been done before? It had not. I mean, no. and now that I look back, I've gotten, I can't say that because other people have sailed West Indian sloops some great distances. Um, John Smith with Mermaid, which was the original mm-hmm. lifeblood of the Kariakou boat building renaissance, um, has millions of miles on Mermaid mm-hmm. and is somewhere in Honduras right now contemplating his next maneuver. But you were the next edition. But there was something, you know, at the time we were we were doing something unique and and it was a big challenge and it was a kind of a culmination of my career um to pull it off and the the destination was new york city and eventually newport so getting out to sea on her 
I was with one other friend of mine, um, a trusted first mate of many passages, um, who's from Israel. His name is Duby. You know, he and I had been through wars at sea before, and I thought, well, the only person who I really yeah. want to do this trip with is Duby. Hmm. And so uh, I got in touch with him, and he was somewhere nearby. He was coming down from Ithaca, New York, or something with a boat that he'd bought mm-hmm. on his way to Antigua. And we finally coincided in uh, St. Martin. We spent about a month <clears throat> preparing for the trip, getting the boat ready and everything else. And that's when we installed the bunk and the two-burner stove, running lights, yeah. radar reflectors, and I think a stereo was the only other thing that we added. Real luxury. And a solar panel to yeah. run the whole thing. And a solar panel, right? We, we got to have music at sea. Yeah. And we set off and we did. Uh, we ended up doing 2,500 miles. Wow, in the boat, um, because we were directed by her, um, her steward to sail her to West Palm Beach, and then when we arrived in West Palm Beach, she came down to the dock, quite delighted that we'd arrived safely after we'd been out of communication for ten days, right? And said, "Well, this is awesome. Can you take her to Newport?" <laughs> and we're like, you know, do you, yeah. you realize that Newport and West Palm Beach are the same distance from Tortola, yeah. right? We just did that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, well, see you in Newport. When we set off, we rounded Yost and got into some ocean swell, and uh, a wave came down through the companionway hatch, which was closed, and hit me directly in the face, as Ooh. you know, yeah, happened to your wife at anchor that <laughs> night, and woke me up to a point, and I said, well, maybe we underestimated this thing. But you never felt unsafe at any point. Or did um, you? No, no, that came much later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that came later. I mean, there's not like right. it, it. It's not a boat that's meant for it. And I think right. at this point, you know, it came to a place where, like, well, what what else can you do with this? Um, mm. Probably a lot, but I think we've proven everything that we need to with yeah. a lovely little beachside built boat and carry a coup and yeah, and she's made uh, the owner happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, he can boast about your hard work. <clears throat> Well, we shouldn't say that. Okay. I don't want to say that. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, no, it's can, fine. Now we can go sailing. We'll hassle England. him about it. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. it frequently hassles us about how we never work. Now, I noticed you bring up sustainability on your website and your commitment to 1% for the planet initiative. And there's a on that page, there's a, somebody holding a fistful of straws. You integrate a lot of those practices on your on your boat. To keep the debris. Yeah, I mean, we always um, we always try and be as sustainable and as forward thinking as we can when it comes to waste. And it is an industry that is notorious for you know not necessarily mm-hmm. being that way um, because it's it's hard. It is right. hard when you're on a boat and you're trying to recycle and do all these things. And everyone has their own practices on what they think should be thrown overboard when you're offshore and what shouldn't be obviously the composting stuff is mm. a go-ahead but um, yeah organic waste i mean yeah. we generally right. have like a you know a, a a bowl of organic waste when we're on an offshore passage of like eggshells and mm. coffee grounds and you know untreated paper waste like coffee filters and stuff like that that mm. are made of bamboo that go Right. Overboard, and they're you know easily recycled back into our ecosystem, um, but you know garbage and I mean we we try and have 
as little impact um, on the ecosystem of the sea as possible. And using green products on the boat mm. as well as, um, you know, trying to reduce the amount of, like, plastic thing, like plastic uh, containers we buy at the grocery store or little right. water bottles. And we're trying to do the best that we can. And um, the 1% for the Planet Initiative is an organization through Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And they... Um, they kind of make an incentive for businesses to donate 1% of the, their sales or their profits to uh, the planet and supporting organizations that... Well, there's not really an incentive, but it's a, an, an introduction of a standard. Sure. And it doesn't have to be 1% of your profits. It could also be volunteer time or you do like in-kind donations mm-hmm. where you buy them supplies that they need. We found out about that organization and we wanted to implement it with us because, you know, everyone can make a big difference just by doing 1%. Absolutely, you know, yeah. So. yeah. You know, when I started ocean sailing and, like, long passage making, maybe 2006, 2005, tens of thousands of miles without seeing any waste but maybe a drifting fishing buoy or something like wow. that in the ocean. Yeah. And now, you know, you see incredible amounts of garbage whether Mm. it's you know flown away uh what's that uh those metallic balloons oh right are all over the place and particularly um with the warming ocean temperatures there are more sargasso blooms and the sargasso weed is acting as a filter um for all of this plastic waste in the ocean and Mm. and it's holding things that would otherwise sink i mean i can't imagine what's on the bottom of our ocean at the moment because Mm. you're seeing these like in in haiti where we're in kind of a funneling place for the equatorial currents and the trade winds pushing debris down out of the north atlantic and into the caribbean basin and eventually into panama which is kind of the stopping point we're seeing these huge sargasso blooms drift ashore and funneling through them you know we we did a beach cleanup one day or more than one day because um we got some of the haitian community on the waterfront involved um in ilavash and and the local cruising boats out and did um as much as we could and then ali and i continued you know days later because there was just so much left there's no and it just keeps coming. So you have these huge sargasso blooms coming in, and they're all full of bottle caps and plastic straws plastic and plastic utensils bags, utensils. And um, amazing amounts yeah. of stuff that, you know, certainly some of it is coming from Hispaniola, mm-hmm. but no way. Like, they do use plastic there because it's convenient, and um, especially in Haiti. You yeah, they don't s- know you, any better. You saw, I mean... They see the plastic, but they, there's they don't have any sort of infrastructure there to deal with it. Mm. And they have like these little. Um, it was instead of plastic bottles, they use little plastic bags of water. And so everyone was just drinking. They're probably about. There might have been like eight ounces, something like and, that. And then they discard the. Uh, some of that is a, uh, is a lack of education for what happens and what mm. impact that's having on the you know, worldwide ecosystem. And it's also a lack of exposure. You know, the, the people of Ilavash don't have electricity. They don't, they don't have, have running water. water. <laughs> they they don't have any of this. So they're doing the best they can. I mean, they're building handmade wooden working boats and fishing right. the sound north of Ilavash and, and the surrounding waters by hand. They're mending their nets on the beach. 
And, you know, if you get thirsty and the only thing you can drink comes in this little weird plastic bag, mm. I'm going to bite the end off and drink it. The efforts um, that we're implementing on Mr. Badger and with the development of the company and sharing the the Narragansett Bay and the, you know, Sound Beyond and New England with um, folks all stems from our own hope to keep the world a clean, better place cleaner better place than we left it or right we, no leaving the world a cleaner better place than we left it as far as yachting and sailing and even working boats of the world are concerned um there's a long way to go i mean a lot of our practice inherently is not good for the environment i no. mean we're buying gallons of anti-fouling you know um chemicals that kill ocean life and right. slapping it all over the bottoms of our boats and dumping it wherever we go as we sail. I think I think really the uh the industry is a little behind in that regard. Um and way behind in some places, you know, how much snappy teak do you guys sell or whatever mm. teak cleaning chemicals? And it's gallons of yeah. of acidic chemicals that make your teak beautifully like the day it was born and right. cut. Um and with each pass, it and takes it, off millimeters you, of, yeah, and, of wood. And forget the wood. Yeah. The, chemical the chemical itself is going directly into the ocean. That's and right. how do we not have any standards for that? Right. Once a week between charters, we've got to have bright decks. Yeah. What's wrong with a gray teak deck? Is that is that your option? Have you chosen that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 And you can, you can scrub it with seawater and you can give it a little – Loving here and there, um, and it stays really quite bright. Mm. Um, the classic boats I worked on, that's what we did. It's great. Just a, a basic yeah. scrub. It, it, well, I think the concern, unfortunately, wasn't as environmentally conscious, but it was it had to do with what it would do to the the, the bedding in between the teeth. Yeah. Because you know, it eats that it eats that up. Yeah. yeah. Well, we may be crucified for all the things we're saying today, but, like, We've got to get our ship together. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, we do. I can't remember the exact statistics, but it was like something like 12% of the plastic that we recycle actually gets recycled. Mm. And the rest of it either ends up in a landfill or burned or blown into the sea. And like that was basically 90% or something. Right. Well, on that positive note. (laughs) I know. I don't, and I don't mean to be super depressing. Yeah. Have we run out of time? No, 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 no. It was comfortable as much time as you want. I last beer, but Um, that's okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I got it. We can only be so depressing. um. Yeah. And and we're not perfect at all. Yeah. You know, that's like, we don't want to send that message because it's really hard to have minimal waste in the Mm. environment that we live in. So... You know, we're slowly, slowly trying to implement practices that we agree with and, you know. This is something that Allie came up with uh, as we're developing Mr. Badger and Company as a business. And, you know, and it's something that we've been working on personally for some years now. Um, But the idea that, you know, you're bringing in people who don't really spend a lot of time on the water uh, necessarily or at sea and part of, you know, it's not an educational trip, but we, we have an impact on the people who come and sail with us. Mm. And just implementing those practices to minimize our impact on the environment. Um, and, and, and people see that. 
Um, mm. Well, I didn't get uh, eight bottles of, you know, single-use water today. I got a water bottle, and someone filled it up for me. That makes a difference. And, you know, at at sea on, you know, a real passage, you know, we've tried to maintain that same kind of integrity of – and you realize it when you live a life at sea. It's like sailing for us is a way of life. Mm. You know, we don't have a house. We don't have – we don't have a lot of belongings or possessions. Our boat is our home and our, you know, it happens to be uh, 62 years young in a month or so. <laughs> and there's some inherent conservation within that, mm. if that makes sense. You know, we're not sure. We're trying to keep something alive that's been alive for quite a long time. Right. So you've both traveled extensively. This is where I bring that uptick. We're waiting you, you for bo- it. You both traveled extensively. How would you say that all that travel has informed how you will present to your charter guests the experience, the local experience? Sure. Um, people are pretty simple on an individual and familial basis. Um, their their wants are pretty simple. Their needs are pretty simple. And I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about working in in Greece in the Aegean Sea for a number of years and you know sometimes I would do 20 straight charter weeks in a season and a season there is like you know it's blowing 30 knots every day Mm -hmm. Um, the terrain is incredibly rugged and folks come from far and wide to experience the Greek island experience, you know, and they've been sold by a charter broker that you absolutely have to make it to Mykonos and to Santorini. Right. Um, because those are the only places I've ever heard of as a charter broker, and I don't know of anything else that's possibly of interest. I think the only thing I've ever seen in a travel brochure is Santorini. Yep. The awesome. blue roof, the white, that's it. There are 2,500 islands and islets in the Greek archipelago. Yeah. And they all offer something incredible. Um there's there's just really nothing like it. So you get to know how you can travel, first of all, incessantly in 30 knots of breeze where there's, you know, um, a couple hundred miles of fetch. Mm. Um, and you get to know people on a basic level as a, as a whole. And I'm generalizing a little bit, but, you know, f- for the most part, you get a sense of, uh, of, of who someone is or a family is on their arrival and what it is that they came to find Mm. and more often than not um, regardless of the weather whether Mykonos is impossible and they're distraught on day one that they're not going to make it to that club um, that they'd so expected (laughs) to visit by day five there's this incredible dynamic of um, a a connection that they didn't realize that they needed or a Mm. This uh, this experience has somehow overtaken them. That must be exciting to see, it, to it, witness. It's incredible a transformation yeah. like that. It yeah. is, you know, and like the 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 point being that um, a real experience on the water with your family is um, is something that can kind of be a lifetime memory and mm. be a, a whatever experience you share with people you love whether it's a day on the water in the Narragansett Bay or a difficult time in life and a loss of a loved one or any number of things in between are pivotal moments in our lives. And 
um, I think what we we hope to bring um, to folks with Mr. Badger is that kind of family shared time simplified experience that brings us closer to ourselves and to each other. Right. I think that part of the experience that I love about sailing and what I've come to learn through my travels is when you get out on a boat and as we said earlier, you know, it's all about the people and Mm. you really just can relax and kind of let like the stresses of every day melt away. Mm. And I think that is what we want to bring to people and just kind of let them see that you're out. Just let it be sort of like meditative for them and take care of everything and just let them be with the people that they love and enjoy the beauty of the Narragansett Bay, which, you know, is stunning and how could you not? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just simple. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I think – I remember that's, the wait. Can I add one more? Thing? Yeah, go on. Because that's the thing about um, that's the thing about sailing, and when you get onto a classic wooden yacht, it's all quite um, timeless. But everything is simplified. Mm. There are very few things that matter. Your cell phone's not charged. Sorry, your business isn't running right. Sorry, but for this four hours, you're mm. you're out here, and there's nothing. That really matters, except the weather, the people you're with, and as long as you're not hungry, everything's good. Right? Don't be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say was my first offshore experience, and I'd been to the top of Pikes Peak, and I'd been out west, and even out west, I don't ever remember seeing as many stars as I did maybe 300 miles offshore on the way to Bermuda. I just lay on the deck. Looking up, and this was October. This was an early delivery compared to the other ones I did. And I just, I was like mesmerized by how many stars there were in the sky because there was no ambient light from any other source anywhere. It it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Allie and I were offshore on uh, a a fiberglass composite boat um, a few years ago. And sailed from Newport down to uh, Tortola or Virgin Gorda, I think, was our final destination. The trip was nonstop from Newport to Virgin Gorda. And a few days before our arrival, Allie and I were on watch together at night. It was a bigger boat um, with a big crew. We started seeing shooting stars. Mm. And I think during our, it was a three or four hour watch, we counted over a hundred shooting stars wow at 100 we just stopped we just stopped yeah, all right yeah we've got this <laughs> like yeah three hours later we're like okay we should what are we trying give to up here yeah <laughs> yeah what, what are we going for but here? The, you know that that celestial experience is uh is unparalleled mm-hmm. in the modern land-based world the best way for folks to learn more about you have a very active instagram account but the the best way is to go to your website which is mr mr badger.co correct That's, yeah. and then from there they can see your instagram feed yeah and, and we should be taking bookings like online bookings within the next couple of weeks uh, uh, yeah maybe even by the end of next week yeah oh great um which at the time when this airs will be the end of this week right <laughs> now are you are you connected with any other charter groups that you sort of cooperate with to share or are you just um, flying solo at the moment no we're flying solo at the moment um We're just going to wing it and go for it. All right. 
That's the entrepreneurial spirit. Excellent. Thanks. Figuring it out as we go. Thank you for listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.